Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. This week is a special week for global economic meetings and related decisions. Here's the backdrop as I see it for the Jackson Hole Annual Federal Reserve Board meeting and the annual BRICS meeting in South Africa. Both meetings start after the recording of this podcast, which means we'll all know more by Friday afternoon. I can't forecast these meetings in detail, but I'll try to lay out for you the impact of them given all the global economic data we've seen as of today, Monday, August 21st. Unlike official reports and media spin, I'll try to help you make sense of what's just around the corner after these strategically important meetings take place. Given that both the Federal Reserve and the BRICS have many issues facing them, issues neither one of them can avoid for very long. Let's start with the U.S. and the Federal Reserve. I'm hearing that many home buyers have issues qualifying for a mortgage, and those who do qualify are facing much higher down payments than just a year or two ago. On the seller side, it seems that many are learning that the housing market has softened, but the number of transactions has all but dried up. Of course, this depends market by market, as real estate ultimately is a local business. But banking and interest rates are pretty much a national business. It's a bit unnerving for both the buyers and the sellers, especially given that the Southern California marketplace is becoming less predictable and less liquid, even though it was not overbuilt and overhyped as it was back in the early 2000s, importantly, 2005, 6, 7, 8. Even the cash buyers today seem to be holding back to see if the market is going to crack. After all, No one wants to make a million-dollar or multi-million-dollar investment and then immediately start to watch it decline in value for months or years. So what's going on and what's going to happen? First of all, home buyers over the past 10 to 20 years have mortgages that are roughly half the rates of today. An exception would be those who bought in the past two or so years while interest rates were climbing to today's 20 to 30-year highs. Recent data shows that recent purchasers in the past two or so years are defaulting in high numbers. I've seen data that indicates about 40% of home buyers in the past year and a half or two years are in default. These houses will come back onto the market and will be sold at whatever the price. If you're a buyer, a potential buyer, be patient and talk to your banking connections about making bids on one of their foreclosures. And additionally, watch carefully for foreclosure auctions. Otherwise, be prepared to qualify for a house that may be 30 or 40% less expensive than what you would have qualified for two or three years ago. doesn't mean the house is less expensive. It means that the house that's affordable is one that would be 30 or 40% less in price than a house that would have qualified two or three years ago. If this is unacceptable, then be patient as interest rates may not come down during the rest of this year or even next year, but ultimately the cycle will demand that they do come down. There is some likelihood mortgage rates will be higher over the next year as our U.S. Treasury will sell record amounts of Treasury bonds while the Fed continues to restrict money supply. My bet 
is that the Fed will go too far in their tightening and will only start to reverse course when the economy totally tanks next year or we're right on the edge of the black hole that represents the economy really tanking. If I'm on target, then expect the Fed to maintain their interest rate policy after the Jackson Hole meeting this week with the possibility they'll actually increase the discount rate another quarter percent this week. It's true they can't keep increasing interest rates each month, and I do agree they are near the top of their target range, but another quarter or half percent increase before the holidays is certainly not out of the question. What the Fed does this week, in my opinion, though, is less important than the U.S. Treasury having to refinance and sell trillions of dollars of debt this year and next to keep the government and the dollar viable. This is where we bring the BRIC countries into our conversation. This block of countries led by China and supported by Russia, Brazil, South Africa, and 20 plus more countries, including Saudi Arabia, have in total been sellers of U.S. debt in recent years. China is the largest seller and I think will continue to sell their U.S. government securities for at least these three reasons. First, China has become a major adversary in many ways to the United States and the West, beyond Taiwan and beyond technology issues. Why would they want to help finance the U.S. government? They won't. Number two, China is promoting another global currency or set of global currencies to compete against the dollar. It's no coincidence that the new currency or currencies will be gold-backed and that China is buying gold as they are selling U.S. government securities. Number three, China and Russia, as well as India, are now large global traders amongst each other in Russian crude oil. The Western sanctions, as we mentioned in a prior podcast, are not so effective as Russia continues to build their own crude oil tanker fleet. And with that, they can play a game. They can decide to charge, which they've done, high transportation fees that they collect on their own tanker fleet in a way to circumvent the $60 maximum dollars per barrel that sanctions are focusing on. Instead of charging $60 a barrel for oil, if the marketplace is $80, they can charge $60 for the crude oil, FOB Russia, and then pay another $20 for the transportation, which is a very high rate. But in total, they can recoup pretty close to a global price for crude oil, which is absolutely against what the sanctions were intended to prevent. This brings me to India. That seems to be playing the game in the middle of the field. They have not yet totally aligned with the anti-West group of the BRICS countries, but they managed to stay some distance away from the West. For example, they are at the moment a holdout on supporting a gold-backed BRICS currency to compete against the dollar. And also Saudi Arabia seems to be somewhat in the middle with them. Maybe they're testing the waters to see what they can gain by not immediately joining the BRICS more aggressive members. I don't know. But we'll find out more this week. They have their annual meeting actually starting tomorrow and Tuesday in South Africa. My bet is that India and Saudi Arabia are laying the groundwork to favor BRICS more than they are planning to align more with the West. Either way, the BRICS currency and the dollar competition will occur either passing another car in the main lane of the global highway or passing in the passing lane at a higher speed. One is faster and riskier, but the rebalancing of global power is in process with China in the leadership position.
China, however, has its own challenges beyond the West. China's real estate marketplace is in meltdown mode, which reminds me of the United States crises beginning with Lehman Brothers and almost ending with Congress and the Federal Reserve bailing out banks, insurance companies, real estate investors, and even the shadow banking system about 15 years ago. Will China start massive bailouts despite their official speeches to the contrary? My view is yes and soon. As an economic meltdown in China, together with a crash in their stock market, will have to be avoided at all costs. I think that is what is important to them. Why? Well, because those in power want to retain power. The same is true across all countries, including the U.S. A major economic meltdown will be avoided, and higher inflation due to massive new money printing as a result of more bailouts will be preferred just like in the United States. Which brings me to inflation. Is inflation over? No. If you want to believe the manipulated official statistics, do so at your own risk. It's better to look at emerging agricultural prices, oil prices, which also is a determinant of plastic prices, plastic packaging, and don't forget fertilizer prices. And don't forget also we're in a period where pay is increasing. Compensation is going up far more than 2%, actually more in the 4 to 5% area so far. My bet is that we are seeing the low side of inflation now through the next few months and that a new round of inflation will soon be visible. Why should I care? Here are a few reasons. Bond prices will continue to go down and interest rates will, as a knee jerk, continue to go up. Owning a home or even renting one will take more of the family budget, which right now shelter costs for Americans takes about 40% of their incomes, which is up from 31 to 32% 10 or so years ago. So 40% will be heading to 50%, which I believe is unsustainable. Another round of oil price increases, which in my opinion is in process, will increase utility costs for homes and businesses at a time when auto prices are also increasing and have been, and fuel prices are increasing and have been recently. Add to this the family grocery bill and the higher monthly debt payments from 20 to 30% credit card interest rates and credit card balances are growing pretty fast, already record highs, And don't forget about the recommencement of payments on educational debt, which is another trillion dollars in total. Companies are realizing the higher raw materials, higher labor costs, and downward adjustments in profit expectations. For quite some time, as you know, I've been warning of the historical overvaluation of U.S. stocks, particularly the big movers of this year and last year. Selling pressure has been occurring in recent weeks and has built up in NVIDIA, Tesla, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google, and other darlings of last year and this year. So far, stock prices have come back, snapped back, and are back in another decline mode. But many remain optimistic and accept the stock market declines are only temporary. Stock prices will continue up, up, and away, right? We'll see, as the higher bond yields are providing attractive alternatives and less risky returns to the really large investors, the ones that really control market supply and demand, like the sovereign wealth funds, insurance companies, mutual funds, large private money pools. It's too risky for me to bet. 
the stock market will continue upwards. And it's more believable to me that when stocks are perceived to have changed course, the impact will be immediate, pretty much like the commercial real estate market is now. We are maybe in the eye of the hurricane. Instead of the name Hillary, let me name this new financial hurricane Corey, C-O-R-E-E. For me, that means commercial office real estate explosion. Corey, is this too dramatic? Maybe, maybe not. The financial news avoided covering a major news item recently. In my opinion, they avoided covering it. And that item is that in recent months, the Federal Home Loan Bank Board has made over $1 trillion in loans available to small and medium-sized banks. Not a coincidence, as these banks are the primary lenders on over $2 trillion of commercial office real estate that is itself witnessing price drops across the country of 50, well, let me be conservative, 30 to 50% or more. I smell another banking crisis coming and spilling over to the shadow banking system. And if you want to think about the shadow banking system with a specific company, think of the Blackstone Group, which has over $1 trillion of real estate under management. Something to think about. But for now, let me remind you that we should begin thinking about investing in the next upturn, maybe late next year. Don't forget that we are beginning to look more and more aggressively at energy and raw materials. In the past two podcasts, I've given you two categories of links for exchange-traded funds that are focused on energy and raw materials. I begin giving this serious thought. But for now, be conservative, stay safe, avoid debt, and be really careful if you still maintain a large part of your portfolio in the stock market. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director, Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.